If you would turn in your Bibles or whatever device you use to study God's Word to Psalms chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading today at verse number 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of God, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Can you say amen? amen. Wouldn't you love for whatever you do to prosper? Amen. Amen. Well, some of you want to be blessed. You know, David, he went through a massive transformation. A complete metamorphosis from just being kind of a, a go-fetch-it guy in his father's sheep fields to, to being the king of Israel. I mean, what a success story. You know, it reminds me kind of a, like, um, you know, those before and after pictures you see on Weight Watchers. Jenny Craig, something like that. You know, you'll see on TV, you'll see the person after, and I mean, they're happy, they're, they're, they're excited, and, and you're looking at them, and you're kind of going, I mean, why are they so happy? I don't want to be rude, but you know. But then they show you the before picture, and you go, oh, that's why they're so happy. Listen, turn to your neighbor right now and say, I, you know, I might not look so good to you right now, but if you had seen me before, you'd understand why I'm so excited. <laughs> so David is extremely blessed. And I want you to know, no one can teach you how to be blessed like someone who wasn't, but then was. Now, one definition for blessed that I heard is, is it's the uncanny, innate ability to succeed over adversity. The uncanny ability to succeed over adversity. Now, the reason why I like that definition is because it doesn't simply imply that blessed people don't have trouble. If you think being blessed is some state where everything goes right and you don't have problems, well, don't hold your breath. But you know you're blessed when you have an uncanny, innate ability to succeed over adversity. I mean, I think we probably all know someone who has a propensity to always land on their feet, like a cat. You know, you can take a cat and throw it off a wall six feet high, upside down and backwards, and the cat will land on its feet. And there are some of you here today that life has thrown you off the wall. But because you are blessed, you have had the ability to land on your feet. Now, you have to understand, and please get this, being blessed isn't always something that is tangible. It's not always something that the CPA can count. Being blessed is the uncanny, innate ability to succeed over your adversities. Now, being blessed, like being cursed, well, it speaks to the end of the process. For example, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus cursed the fig tree, but yet he was still healthy and green as they walked away. But it was when they came back that the tree had withered up and died. 
God told Adam and Eve, if you, the day you eat of the fruit in the garden, you shall surely die. Well, they didn't fall over right then after they ate from the tree, gasping for air. But in the end, they died. So let me bring it home to today. God says in his word that people who don't tithe, that they are cursed with a curse. But yet there are people that don't give a nickel to God, and they're living in a better house than you are, and they're driving a better car than you. But see, being cursed speaks to the end of a thing. Just like being blessed speaks to the end of the thing. You may not be blessed right now in your mind, but if you hang on and do what God calls you to do, you will be blessed before it's all over. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to have adversity. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. But ultimately, you will rise over that adversity. And so David is blessed, even though he's had some javelins thrown at him, even though he's made mistakes, even though he's had moral failures and he's embarrassed himself and he's embarrassed God. But each and every time, David has landed back on his feet. Why? Because he's blessed. Now, this works a lot easier if there's kind of a, a, a back and forth, okay? You know, if you, I'll preach much shorter if you'll help me out. Thank you. Appreciate that. But you know, true worship comes from people who have overcome things, and they realize that they're blessed. Because it does something to them, and they're grateful. And listen, if you think you're not blessed just because you have adversity, you're wrong. Because it is that adversity that helps us measure to the extent that we've been blessed. Now, to be blessed, of course, we have to be a child of Almighty God. To have standing in His kingdom, we have to be His child. And then in our text, David points out that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. God says, I will not bless you if you listen to ungodly, worldly, secular advice. Why? Because then you put yourself in the realm of the natural and you take yourself out of the realm of the supernatural and you are vulnerable to whatever is going on in the world. If the world goes up, you go up. But if the world goes down, you go down. Because you're walking in the counsel, you're walking in the advice of the ungodly. But I want you to know God tells me not to be moved by the trends and the winds of this world. He tells me to stand independent and live by God. What do you want me to do? And what are you saying for my life? Yeah. Now, that sounds easy. But trust me, it's not. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, don't be like the world. Just because the world's going crazy, you don't have to go crazy. Don't be conformed to this world. But there are so many people in the church today who are mainly fed from the world. You work around secular people. Your friends are secular people. Your family is secular people. I don't even know. Your dog may even be secular. It may be an avid CNN fan watcher. I don't know. 
And so what that means is that I have an hour or so each week to combat all those other hours that you're getting bombarded with contrary worldly information that you're receiving from the secular media and your worldly associates. Don't be conformed to this world. But God says, be transformed. Now, transformation is like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a metamorphosis. It starts internally, and then it affects the external. It's how can I get the best part of me to come out so that I can evolve and develop into what God wants me to be? Because I don't want to crawl down on this level like a worm if it's in my spirit to fly at this level like a butterfly. I like to be around people that help me transform. I like to be around people that bring out the wings in me and not the worm in me. Because let's be honest, we have both. Oh, I see. This is the way it's going to be. Uh, you can act all sanctimonious with me. You're all dressed up. You smell real good. You look real churchy today. But I want you to know, brother, sister, you got a worm down in you too. The wormy people you hang out with will bring out the worm that's in you. And if you're not careful, they'll bring you all the way down from flying up here to crawling down here because they will appear, uh, appeal to that wormy nature that's in you. So how can I be transformed? Can I be transformed by discipline alone? Well, that's part of it. But if the discipline that you're striving for is just an external thing, so you'll fit in with church people, it's not going to work. Because transformation doesn't come by changing the way you dress or raising your hands when you feel doodads on your neck. So many people come to church and they put on the attributes of outward Christianity, but none of their inner transformation, they don't have that to go along with it. They walk like saints, they talk like saints, but on the inside, they're still full of dead men's bones. Now, of course, I'm not talking to anyone here. No, yeah, no, I, no I'm just, I'm telling you in general, in general terms. The Bible says that transformation starts on the inside by the renewing of our minds. That's how you begin not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Because let's be honest, our mind becomes what we feed it. I'm surprised I have to convince you of that. Whatever you watch or read or hear all the time, that's what you become. If you go to med school, do they give you an injection and all of a sudden you're a doctor? No. You become a doctor by what they feed your mind. And if you're going to transform your mind, you've got to change what you mentally ingest. But now let's be honest. It's easier to renew anything else other than this. I mean, hey, you can go to a hairstylist. You can go to a plastic surgeon, and you walk out of there, and no one will recognize you. A new face, new hair, new nose, all that fat in your body sucked out. It is easier to fix up the externals than it is to change the internal. There has to be a transformation by the renewing of your mind. 
Because let's be honest, my mind is a part of me that Jesus did not save right off the bat. And he didn't save yours either right off the bat. You don't believe me? You came down to that altar, you prayed through, you got up, you were still three months behind in your rent. You still had problems. You still had thoughts that you shouldn't have been thinking. And so our mind is the last thing to get saved. Again, obviously I'm preaching to me because I'm getting no help from you. But a thought out of my past, I mean, it just comes up. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't thinking about it. It just pops into my head. And so Jesus saved my spirit, but my mind, oh man, my mind still got some issues. If I said everything I thought, oh Lord Jesus, would I be in trouble. You talk about a marriage seminar. Man, I would need a hospital stay. But again, maybe that's just me. But you see, the mind isn't saved instantly, and that's the struggle that we have every day, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we can make the right choices out of the myriad of options that our mind gives us. You see, because your mind is more than just your brain. It's your memories. It's what you've been through. It's what happened to you. It's your feelings. And all of that hasn't changed. Hey, you know, if you're here today and you used to know how to roll a joint, I am sure you... Now, I'm not looking at anybody. I have no one in mind when I said that. I'm looking at all you sitting there acting like just because you were baptized, all of a sudden you got amnesia. I mean, you could sit there and mix that special mixed drink that you used to love so much with your eyes closed. You're not fooling me. But our past continues to live in our mind, and herein lies our problem and struggles of being a Christian. I mean, it would be fine. It would be wonderful if we didn't remember. But our mind is always doing comparisons, saying, well, you were better off when you were in the world. You'd have a lot more money if you didn't pay your tithe. I knew I should have married Billy Bob. Mm, mm, mm. And so your spirit is saved. Your body shall be saved. And your mind is being saved. And so the more that we feed it spiritually, the more quickly the transformation happens. Okay, so now let's look over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse number 1. And you, he made alive, which is born again, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, the ways of secular thinking. Now, if you have a mental or a chemical or a sexual dysfunction, and you're constantly being fed by people who have not been regenerated by the blood of Jesus Christ, even though you are in church, your thinking becomes flawed like the secular people who are advising you. And so I may be your pastor, but you're letting them be your teacher. So we have to stop walking 
according to the mindset of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, of course, who sets the course of this world, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So that's what's wrong with my boys. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Now, if I was a betting man, I would bet that probably when I said lust, there were an awful lot of you that thought about that term in a sexual connotation. Not badly, but just, you know, people think about lust, well, they think about sex. But I want you to know there are a lot of things that we can lust about that are not sexual. What about that old biblical word, covet? To look on with longing. There are people who lust for your house. There are people who lust for food. There are people who lust for recognition. And certainly there's a lot of people who lust for power. So remember, lust just isn't sexual. Continuing, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. So lust is not just physical. Lust is in the head. And remember, true transformation is going to start in the head. And when you change your mind, that, my friend, is when you are going to be able to change the situation that you find yourself in. The prodigal son was in the pig pen surrounded by slop. And so he was physically in that predicament. But all of a sudden, the Bible says he came to himself and he remembered my father's servant has it way better than this. So I'm going to arise physically from where I'm at in this pig pen and I'm going to go to where my mind is taking me. You will always, listen to me, you will always go where your mind is taking you. Kids, you will always go where your mind is taking you. Think big. Think big. Because if you think big, that's where you will end up. And that applies to all of us. You always go where you're thinking. Good or bad, you're going to end up where your mind takes you. And so if you want to be transformed, you've got to change what you're thinking, and then you will change where you're going. Now, I understand you may be here today and you're saying, God, I'm in debt. God, I'm in a crisis. God, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Well, put your butt in front of it. Verse 4, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved you and he loved me even when we were sinners, even when our mind was in the toilet, even when our physical predicament was not where we wanted it to, when we were sinners, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. God is rich in mercy. He has the mercy to help you change. He has the mercy to help you turn your life around. He has the mercy to bring you in alignment with his word. Dorothy, you can come home anytime you want. Click your heels because my God is rich, and you can bring Toto with you. God has the power. God has the mercy. 
And God loves you enough to bring you out of your situation. So let's go back to Psalms 1, where we started. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. So God says, don't listen to the ungodly. And then God says, don't walk the same path of sinners. Don't take on their ways. Now, a way is, is a tendency. It's an in, inclination. Have you ever know, known someone that just kind of has, has their ways? Kind of like, well, well, they're not hateful, but, but they have hateful ways. Well, God says to be blessed, we need to change our ways. Do you realize that you could change your ways and save your marriage and you'd be happy for the rest of your life? But people say, oh, no, 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 I, I can't change. I, you know, I, I'm just who I am. I'm just who I am. That's baloney. You change your ways and handcuff that hateful self of yours at work. You watch your P's and Q's on the job. And you do that for people you don't even know. And yet the people that love you and you love, they catch your hell. Now, I apologize. Starla said I couldn't say that word, that it was the wrong context. For the word hell. So if that offended you, I apologize, but don't write me an email because I know how to delete it. <laughs> but people we love, they just get all of our garbage, but nobody else does. You know, I told you we were at a marriage seminar. And so, you know, Starla and I, we don't fight. Now, we discuss things that the neighbor hears, <laughs> but we don't fight. And so one of the things that, I mean, absolutely sends her up the wall. Now, of course, she's totally unreasonable about this. But anyway, <laughs> totally sends her up the wall is that we'll be discussing something. And I'm, <laughs> I know that surprises you, but I do get upset from time to time. And my phone will ring, and I'm, <laughs> Hello. Hey, yeah, how you doing, man? Oh, it's so good to hear from you. Oh, that's, yes, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we just can't, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And if I don't duck, I'm going to get hit with a frying pan. <laughs> she does not like that. And I hate to admit it to you, but she's right. If I can be nice to you, I better be able to be nice to the love of my life. And if you can be nice to those derelict sinners at your work, you can be nice to the love of your life. God says, don't have sinful ways. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. Then God says, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Oh, my Lord, this is going to get so good. Don't hang around or interact with bitter people. Now, that is so hard to do these days because we live in a society of bitter people. 
I mean, you can write something, the nicest article about, I don't know, baby polar bears chasing snowflakes in the snow. What is sweeter than that? And with social media the way it is, someone will come up with the most vicious, vile, ugly things to say about that, and you wonder, what were they reading? Scornful people see everything in the negative. And anytime someone is scorned or rejected, I mean, they can be mean. Now, when you give people what they want, they think you're the most wonderful person in the world. But when you don't, all of a sudden, you're living within the gates of hell to them. Do you realize the only thing that Saul had against David was that Saul had been rejected? They said Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David hadn't done anything to Saul. But Saul was rejected, and because of that, Saul became dangerous. So be careful about the exes, ex-employees, ex-lovers, ex-spouses, because you could end up not making their Christmas card list. Be careful. Now, if you're scornful, it's difficult to admit. You didn't get what you wanted. Maybe you became embarrassed about it. Your hope takes a beating and you become bitter. Okay, but Hebrews chapter 12 says, do not let the root of bitterness rise up and spoil you. Friend, make no mistake, bitterness will spoil your chances of being blessed. You've got to let go of that anger. You've got to let go of that hostility because it will curse you. Now, let me give you an example. I've got to hurry. Um, but anyway, let me give you an example that, that maybe you can understand. You've got this friend. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about a friend of yours. Keep that in mind. And this friend of yours doesn't pay tithe. I'm not talking about you. And it isn't because they can't afford to pay tithe. It's because they don't want to pay tithe because they are cynical and they are bitter. And people like that, what do they say? Oh, the church is just after my money. All they want is my money. Let's follow that through. So they don't give to the church because the church is just after the money. But then they go and hang out at the strip club. Okay, answer me this. Does he really think that she likes him? I don't think so. And so I'm waiting for sinners of this world to go back to the nightclub and stand to those people standing in line waiting to get in. Don't get, don't go in there, man. All they want is your money. They have a cover charge at the door. They're going to charge you for those drinks. They need to go in and chastise the bartender and say, you are just after my money, man. And so my point is this, is their logic is tainted by bitterness but yet it makes perfect sense to them. Now, here's where I want to bring it home to you. And if you are not a really thinking person, you will buy into their nonsense, and your saved self, yourself that's born again, will buy into that thought process from the worldly guy, and you will start living in their truth, and then you'll wonder why God is not blessing you. It's because their mind has taken over your mind. 
I know people do things that have hurt you. I know everything isn't fair and everything isn't, isn't just and right. And sometimes you've done your very best and you don't get selected, you don't get the opportunity, and you don't get recognized. I realize that. Life is not fair, but you cannot afford to get bitter because if you get bitter, you will never get better. Whatever it takes, you've got to get it out of you. There's a curse on it. I mean, you can pay all the tithes you want. You can sit in that pew and quote scriptures until you go hoarse. But the reason you're not blessed is because you are toxic. There is a poison down in your spirit and in your heart, and you have to get rid of it. And God says if you are a bitter, negative, vindictive, glass-half-empty-thinking person, you're not going to be blessed because you are sitting in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Praise God. A blessed person is a person who enjoys God's word. Get in the word of God and let the word of God get down in you. I can hear it. You don't even have to say it. I can hear it. But I'm not a good reader. Well, I'm not either. Plug in your earphones and let your smartphone do the heavy lifting, dummy. Use your phone for something besides Candy Crush, Facebook, and words with friends. Get the Word of God in it. Then our text goes on to say, Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Listen, folks, you have to understand. In this microwave age, we want everything right now, instantly. You want me to shut up right now, but I'm not. But there is a timing dimension to God's blessing in your life. There is a time, there is a season for every purpose under heaven is not a song by the birds back in 1965. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? How many remember that song? Turn, turn, turn. They copped those words from the Bible. Just because it's not today does not mean that God is not going to bless you. What does is, what is Isaiah 40, 31 says? Those who what? Wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Then God said, do not be deceived. I will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And if you reap the things I can bless, I will bless them. When you wait on the Lord, he will send you a blessing. And of course, I'm like you. We say, when's it coming, Lord? When's it coming? It's coming in due season. If we don't faint. Continuing verse 3, a tree planted by the water whose leaf also shall not wither. Now while you're waiting for the fruit of your season, God says, I'm going to keep the leaf from withering. In other words, God says, I will sustain you. Whew. I will sustain you. Have you ever had God just sustain you? I mean, it's a blessing to be sustained. I want you to know you are blessed to be here this morning. Why? Because there are people sitting at home. There are people in nursing homes. There are people in the hospital wishing upon wish upon wish that they had the opportunity to be where you are right now. 
You are blessed to be able to get out of your bed this morning and to brush your teeth and to get dressed. You are blessed to be able to drive over here. Everything you have is a blessing. Now, it may not be what he has. It may not be what she has. But thank God that he gave you what you've got. You are blessed. And because you're blessed, you need to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf has not withered. Why? So you can bring forth fruit in that due season. And then the good part. Woo! Whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. This is so good. It's so important. And we shout. Well, some of you shouted. I appreciate, Brandy, you shouting. Rest of you. <laughs> but listen to me. God cannot bless what you do not do. If I had a microphone handheld mic, I'd just go like this and let it drop. God cannot bless what you will not do. Stop praying for God to bless what you're not doing. You're asking God to bless dysfunction when God can only bless function. God says, whatever he does shall prosper. Don't miss the fact that they are a doer. God blesses doers. Not just thinkers, dreamers, and wishers. God says, if you'll do something for me to bless, I will bless it, but I can't bless what you're not doing. So many people underestimate the effort of doing. They think if they just slap at it and God didn't bless it, well, obviously I need to give up on it. Someone pays tithe for two weeks, but because God doesn't immediately bail them out of years of credit card debt, what do they say? Oh, tithing doesn't work. You've got to keep at it longer. You've got to do it with commitment. You've got to do it with relentlessness. Yes. Hey, listen, it's not as easy as it is advertised. When Starla had her neck surgery, piece of cake. The doctor said it was a simple procedure. She might experience mild discomfort. When she had it, she felt like someone stabbed her in the eyeball with a screwdriver. It was excruciating. You cannot rely on the advice from someone who has not been on your side of the knife. And when you underestimate the intensity of the effort required, many times you're going to be shocked by the trauma and you end up running away from the process. Hey, trust me, folks, building a church isn't easy. It's not as easy to be a good wife as it looks like it is on TV. Because they got to put up with you. But God says if you will do it, if you will do it, if you will do it, I will bless it. So the question today is, do you want it bad enough to do what it takes to get it done? The reason why you're not getting what God has for you is that you have just been tapping, just kind of tapping at the door when you should have been beating the door down. If you hit it with everything you have, that addiction will move, your trouble will move, your poverty will move, anything will move if you hit it hard enough. 
God is not going to do in the spiritual until we have done all we can in the natural. Most of the miracles in the Bible, the blessing was in the doing. 1 Kings 17, the woman was about to prepare her last meal and die. And Elijah came knocking on the door and said, bake a cake for me first. She said, hey, Jack, didn't you hear me? I'm about to die and you want me to do something for you? Yes, the blessing is in the work. And when she obeyed, the miracle came. The blessing was in the doing. God says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. It doesn't matter how much it is. It's the same for everybody, 10%. And when God sees a doing people, then he said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. And then he says something so interesting. He says, prove me, prove me. And so if you didn't have the control over your blessing, why in the world would God say, prove me? You see, because your blessing is a reaction. If you act, God says, then I will react and pour you out a blessing. Listen, you are not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. Oh, I'm preaching good today. In John chapter 6, we find the story of the boy with the fish and loaves of bread. Now, the boy was the supply. He had the grub. Certainly, they had the need, 5,000 plus women and children. And so, just because the supply was available and the need was present, and certainly the power was there. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was on the scene. But yet, the people were still hungry. So, how did the blessing occur? Well, Jesus took the two fish and the five loaves, and he gave thanks. Okay, that's great. People still hungry. But then he took what used to be not enough, and then he broke it. And as he began to break it, as he began to do something, as he began to break what he had, it multiplied in the process of doing the work. People want God to bless it, and then they will work it. But God says, if you work at it, then I'm going to bless it. Whatever you're called to do, work at that thing. Folks, begin to work in the field of your dreams. Begin to work in the field of your prayer life. Begin to work at what God has promised you and work at it until he blesses it. Listen to me. The progress, the progress is in the process. The progress is in the process. And if you work where you are, God will take you to where you want to go. Folks, listen, God doesn't give handouts. God doesn't give on credit. But if you will work at what God has given you to do, and if you will do what God has asked you to do, then he will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. Bow your heads with me if you would.